0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: There's still the whole question of the virus itself. We're not really asking for the virus's opinion on ending all of these restrictions. Uh, It's kind of marching to its own drum. And obviously the virus has not gone away. This initial Omicron wave has obviously subsided. Uh, But there's something going on with with Omicron that is interesting. It was something we noticed right at the beginning. When we first discovered Omicron, there were a couple of branches of this Omicron tree. For whatever reason, it was the version known as BA1 that took off, sparking a, a global wave, including here in Canada. But as that has subsided, BA1's sibling, cousin, BA2, has started to emerge. Now, there are some similarities uh, between the two. Fortunately, when it comes to severity, it appears as though there are a lot of similarities. When it comes to vaccines, there are a lot of similarities. But BA2 does seem to be a little bit more contagious, which could be a concern. So as BA2 now seems to be displacing BA1, what, what is the concern about the impacts? The wastewater data that's gathered in various cities across the country does seem to indicate a rise in cases could be due to a more contagious variant. Maybe it's also due to people getting back to normal lives and and the subsiding of restrictions. Joining us to talk a bit about where we're at and uh, what kind of a threat BA2 represents, we're pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, an infectious disease physician and scientist based out of the Toronto General Hospital. Dr. Bogosh, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me back on.
1: I'm obviously, we're still in the Omicron realm here, but but how do we distinguish between these these various uh, types of of Omicron?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is really something where the genetics uh, and that we call this genetic sequencing will sort of parse apart what's BA one versus BA two. But like you pointed out, I mean, we had our initial wave. Uh, of omicron in you know december january february it petered off thankfully uh but uh you know there's this other we'll call it a sublineage, for lack of a better word of omicron mm-hmm. called ba2 and yeah you know it's more transmissible causes about very similar clinical spectrum of illness it's uh, the vaccines work just the same against ba1 if someone's been infected with ba1 you still get a ba2 infection it's just much less likely if you've already recovered but uh, but yeah, it's more transmissible and uh, it, it certainly finds a way to infect people who have not yet been infected or even some people who have been vaccinated. It can still infect you. The vaccines reduce your risk of severe infection. Three doses of vaccine actually reduces your risk of infection as well, just not as much as others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's around. It's growing. The wastewater signals are, are across the country are showing that it's on the rise. And, you know, it would come to no one's surprise if we start to see a bump in what we call them delayed indicators or delayed metrics like hospitalizations if we start to see a bump in that in the coming days or a week or two from
1: now. It's interesting. It's part of what made Omicron so contagious was those immune escape properties. But when it comes to BA2... It's, you, you alluded to, it's It's quite similar to BA1, at least in terms of immune evasion. So do we understand what makes it more contagious? And I guess further to that, if this is the more contagious version, why, why didn't it take off first?
0: Yeah, it's not entirely clear. And I, I fully admit that we don't have all the answers. Um, yeah. You know, Sometimes there's something called a founder effect, which is you've got a, a big introduction of one particular virus and it just takes over and it takes a bit of time for other viruses that are around that are for lack of a better word more competitive to uh to take over we saw that happen by the way with uh the alpha variant and this time last year where it just took over the uh, original COVID strain that we had we saw it with the delta variant where it swept through and mm-hmm. took over and replaced all of the alpha variant and then we're seeing it again with omicron first ba1 and now ba2 if something's more competitive if something's more transmissible it will take over the pace at which it takes over is really dependent on how transmissible it is and also the levels of community level protection and community level immunity that we have. But it's here, it's taken over. It's in some neighborhoods, like in some parts of the world, it's taken over faster. Like if we've seen it rip through uh, some European countries pretty quick. In the United States, it's actually pretty slow. It's growing, but it's just growing at a slower right.
1: rate. And I guess you know maybe there's a seasonality in, in you know effect in that. I mean you know we can look from European country to European country, and I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't we don't see any obvious patterns here. These explanations don't seem to fit nicely in, into a box. I guess as to why we're seeing it more so one country than the other, it's hard to pin down, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is, and you know, I, I really do think there's a lot we can learn from other countries and we can look ahead to Europe because they're usually a few weeks ahead of us. But on the other hand, some, some people just oversimplify these direct country to country comparisons and say, you know, they'll say, oh, well, they did this and therefore we need to do that. And, you know, right. I think there, there's some gross over, oversimplification with these country to country comparisons. But what's pretty clear is if you look at Europe and you look at parts of Asia, you know, all these places had a big, or many of these places had a big Omicron wave, you know, December, January, February. It subsided. And in many of these places, they're now seeing a recurrent wave uh, and and growth. And what's also interesting, too, is if you look right now and, you know, the tail end of March 2022, some places in Europe are are actually turning around. They've had a small wave and things are improving in terms of Mm -hmm. case loads and hospitalizations, whereas other places, case numbers are still on the rise. And, you know, in Canada, it's really hard to know because we're just not doing a ton of community level testing. So we have to rely on other things like wastewater surveillance and modeling of uh, cases that we do have uh, access to. And, of course, looking at other things like hospitalizations and deaths. And, you know, right now, I think it's fair to say that we're in the early part of a spring wave. It's just not quite clear how big this wave will be, how significant it will be, how, how much disruption it will cause. But I think it's fair to say that we will see a bump. In in hospitalizations in many parts of the province, there's actually probably, or many parts of the country, there's probably early indications that we're seeing a a very early rise in hospitalizations here in Ontario. But again, to what extent? Like, I just don't know how how significant this wave is going to be.
1: What's the thing? I mean, if we we rewind to the end of November, right? when when Omicron first emerged, um obviously no one in Canada had yet been exposed to it. Uh, now we have a situation where a whole lot of Canadians have been exposed to it. More Canadians since then have received booster shots. But at the same time, you know, there was at least an appetite for some level of, of public health measures when the omicron wave first hit. we We really don't, for the most part have anything in place right now. Maybe even we're we're seeing a little bit of waning immunity in in some parts of the population. So in some ways, we're, we're we're well positioned. In other ways, we've let down our guard a little bit. What that adds up to, I guess, is is the big question here.
0: Yeah, that's a home run. Exactly, right? Like, listen, most Canadians, the vast majority of Canadians are vaccinated with one or two doses, and many, of course, with a third dose. Um, you know, and if you couple that with so many people, especially over the last three months, were infected and recovered, and you can't ignore the protective benefit that that has. I mean, obviously, we don't want anyone to get infected or get sick, but a lot of people have. And that helps, especially if coupled with vaccination. So, you know, we have pretty significant community level protection. We're not in 2020 in the pre-vaccine era. I mean, so so that yeah. does count for something. But yeah, you know, there is waning immunity from some of these vaccines. There certainly are very little in the way of public health measures. And, you know, like, what, what do you do with this information? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is it's fair to say we have, you know, significant community-level protection, but I don't know. It's hard to quantify because we just there's a lot of uncertainty. The other thing too is we'll probably, this is speculation here, we'll probably see booster vaccines, like a fourth dose, become eligible for older or vulnerable populations. And again, you know, we here's the predictable you know debate about vaccines and anger and backlash or uh, polarization about <laughs> right. vaccines but you know what there's some emerging data demonstrating that maybe I'm careful with my words uh, an additional booster might be might be helpful for select populations who are at risk of severe outcomes the other thing too is masks i mean even though they're not mandating masks you can still choose to wear a mask in indoor settings we know they're not perfect but they still they really still help to protect the individual and protect those around you so i think there's things that we have under our control that we can do You can get vaccinated you can wear a mask you can acknowledge that COVID's still here and it's still impacting us and, and the world around us
1: it's interesting too um you know i saw it out of uh, new york in new york city they're they're setting up a system to try to make uh, paxlovid more easily available this is the pfizer drug that that can help uh, reduce hospitalizations, can help keep people out of hospital, that, you know, there's numbers that people can phone, and, you know, how to do a test, and how to confirm you have COVID, and then how to obtain Paxlovid as a way of trying to minimize the the impact on the hospital system. The availability of that drug, I think, has been a little more limited in Canada. As we look to deal with whatever wave we're about to deal with, or future waves, these kinds of tools are, are going to be crucial. Where, where are we at on on that?
0: Well, we're, we're pretty behind the eight ball on the therapeutic side of things, and You know, we certainly do have good therapeutics in Canada, but we have a lot of room to grow on our outpatient therapy. So if you're sick and you're in the hospital, we've got really good drugs to treat people with that have really transformed the care of COVID. And they work. Like, people die way less frequently because of the care they receive in hospital. Out of hospital care, there's room for improvement, and a lot of that room for improvement means we just need greater access to these medications and one of them is Paxlovid. um yeah it's here it's hard it's not hard to get it's just limited because it's got such a narrow use for the highest of high risks uh but but of course i think if you have easy access to that pill we could really it, it looks like it really does keep people out of hospital. And, and obviously, that's that's exactly what we need. I mean, when we really got into trouble in most Canadian settings, was because our hospitals became overwhelmed. We just couldn't care for the burden of people infected with COVID. If you can keep people well and out of hospital, obviously, we're doing something right. I love the U.S. approach. It's not perfect, but they're really aiming to, like that program in New York, you know, get the drug to the people, lower every possible barrier. Uh, the U.S. Right. is going to do this pharmacy test and treat strategy, I think that's brilliant. We could copy and paste that here in Canada. I think the other point to remember too is like this isn't a drug for a fully vaccinated 24 year old with no underlying medical conditions. It's probably gonna have no benefit in in an individual Mm -hmm. like that. It's really the heavy lifting appears to be in uh, people with, who are greater greater risk for hospitalization and death. But again, let's get the drug out. Let's get the drug, and then let's get the drug out quickly to people who need it. It will probably go a long way in helping us. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend.